one of the most essential functions of the uh, health and well-being for human is breathing. Breathing air just in and out. If you uh, didn't know better when I told you you do that 25,000 times a day, it might be a shocker. And yet, uh, as our guest in this upcoming show here on the Chase Jarvis Live Show on Creative Live will share, we've basically lost the ability to breathe correctly. And it has serious implications. And right now you're probably saying, well, I, I, I can breathe just fine, Chase. Thank you. I know how to breathe. And here I am. Um, but the reality is that, and modern research agrees, that making even the tiniest adjustments in the way we inhale and exhale can have dramatic downstream positive effects. It can jumpstart athletic performance. It can rejuvenate internal organs. It can fix scoliosis. Okay. This is science. This is not something I'm making up. It can also halt snoring, asthma, reverse autoimmune diseases, and even, well, I'll let you listen to the episode to find out what else it can help transform. And this is a, an amazing episode. And my guest today is James Nestor. He is a journalist who's traveled the world to figure out what went wrong with our breathing. And the most important part of this podcast is how you the listener or the watcher, uh, the listener in this case, can fix it. Um, I first came into contact with James' work uh, when he wrote about free diving, uh, renegade science, and what the ocean tells about ourselves. Because um, I was fascinated in, with surfers' ability to hold their breath really deep or really um, for long periods of time. And I have a lot of friends um, for whom breathing is critical. I mean, not in the human sense, but you know, Vim Hoff, who's a previous guest on the show. Um, Surfer Laird Hamilton teaches about it. My friend Kelly Sturett, maybe you remember that episode where uh, just without any training, I held my breath for, I think, two minutes and 45 seconds. In short, James uh, has written this, a new book. Of course, he's also written for Outside, The Scientific American, and The Atlantic, and Dwell, and The New York Times, etc. But his new book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, is a page turner. I, I mean, I, you know, it's a science, uh, it's a science page turner. And the big hook there is that we can all benefit from breathing better. So uh, this episode, if you want to live a better life or you want to breathe better, it's literally for every person. I bet the number of people who breathe um, as well as they could breathe who are listening right now has got to be in the single digit percentages. So if you're listening to this episode, it's for you. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Mr. James Nestor, that's because that's his handle on Instagram. Go follow him and check him out. Um, on Insta and his website, actually all kinds of really interesting stuff from scientists there. But before you do that, you're going to enjoy this episode. So I'm going to get out of the way before we do just a quick word from our sponsor and then breath. Hey, quick question for you before we get into the episode. Do you feel stuck by any chance? Do you feel like your dreams are, are a bit out of reach or you've got more potential with this one precious life? than you're realizing today, right this moment? Well, you know what? I got an idea. Life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. So to that end, I wrote a book. It's a new book. It just dropped in September. It's called Creative Calling, and it became an instant bestseller when it was released this past September. Now, if you dig this podcast, then this book is the perfect, and I mean perfect, companion because it takes the ideas we discuss here in the show creativity, entrepreneurship, how to pursue your dreams and career hobby and in life, and it organizes them in a super clever and incredibly practical way that will help you take action. Richard Branson said, if you want to focus on creating amazing experiences, businesses, and relationships, then Chase's book, Creative Calling, is the engaging guide to doing just that. Brene Brown said, Chase's experiences and his commitment to creating make him the perfect guide as we set out on our own adventures to learn how creativity has the power to change everything. Now, those reviews are just the tip of the iceberg, and if you want, you can read a couple hundred more five-star reviews on Amazon. But again, this is not just about buying the book. It's not a transaction. This is about unleashing the most powerful force we have in this world, our creativity. It's so important that we rally as a community around the ideas we believe in. And so if you believe in this show, you believe in the work that I've done in my whole you know, lifelong career as a creator, then picking up a copy of Creative Calling would be so appreciated. And again, most importantly, it's about being a messenger for spreading this message. This is my ask of you. 
All right. Thanks very much for listening. And now let's get back into the show. James Nestor is joining us today to celebrate his uh, New York Times bestselling book and to help us breathe better, which will make our lives richer. So please, wherever you are in the world, tap your desk, tap a key or two, give a shout out to Mr. James Nestor. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I am very happy because I got a lot of questions. This is, I was sharing with you uh, just before we, we turned on the cameras, uh, lifelong um, believer in visualization, um, passionate about mindset and personal health and wellness, um, meditating for five or seven years now. And breath is the elusive, um, I haven't had an explanation for why I feel better, why I perform better, um, and why it matters, but I know it does. And so to have you on the show today, brings me a lot of joy. Um, and I know we've got people tuning in from all over the world right now. I right away, I see Australia. I don't know what time it is on Australia, but it seems like it's got to be either early or late. New York, New Jersey, uh, the tri-state area. We've got a Texas in the house. Uh, Lisbon, Lisbon, Portugal. Anyway, worldwide audience, excited to hear from you today. Um, and I want to start out with what in the world made you study breath, breath of all of the things you can study, studying free diving before and um, so many different, um, I don't know, so many different things. Why breath? Well, it started when I was talking to free divers who are these athletes who have managed to train themselves to take a single breath of air and dive down 200, 300, 400 feet um, and come back to the surface conscious and fine. So beyond just the competitive side of free diving, I was fascinated with, with the act of holding your breath for so long, what that required. And they said that the only way to hold your breath for some of these people were holding the, their breath for eight, nine, 10 minutes um, was, was to breathe properly. And the applications for that extended beyond just deep diving. Um, there were a bunch of other benefits to really harnessing breathing. And they were claiming that it helped you heal disease. It could help you get rid of snoring. It could help you do these superhuman feats. And all of this sounded pretty much like a little tall tale-ish to me. So I went out in the field and talked to the researchers and experts and uh, found out that so much of what they had told me was actually true. Well, you do a nice job of opening the book, uh, describing someone who has uh, lived a life that I think a lot of the folks who were listening in, and then we just had uh, Serbia join, uh, Trinidad's in the house, Dallas, Istanbul. So a lot of folks from all over the world were raised on, I don't know, mediocre food, sort of sugary mass produced stuff. Um, you talk a lot in the book about the shape of the mouth. I had my wisdom teeth out at 17 and you captured me right away uh, early on in the book with describing basically what my childhood was like, the, the thoughts around what I was eating, what my breath was like, what my um, life was like, the, the doctors and the dentists, what they thought of my mouth. And I was horrified to find out that you and I were in the same camp and that uh, you had been, um, you know, as you subjected yourself to these studies that I'm probably a lot like you. So how broadly is the problem of not breathing properly and 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 you know what did your studies lead you to understand about our culture well when i first started researching this uh so many scientists were telling me that the vast majority of us don't breathe correctly which doesn't make any sense to me because i'm alive i'm breathing i figured breathing is you know it's doing its job if you're alive it, i was concerned that i was breathing not how to breathe but but they said it's the how of breathing is as important as how much you exercise, what you eat, whatever genes you've had um, inherited. So, so I thought that that was interesting. And then they broke it down, the, the, the facts and the numbers of how poorly we're breathing right now. If you look at asthma, 25 million Americans have asthma, half of us snore, about a quarter of us have sleep apnea, about a quarter of us uh, suffer from chronic hyperventilation, another quarter suffer from COPD. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And then I started actually thinking about it and listening to, to people who were around me and watching what was happening. And, and even people who are healthy, even uh, weightlifters, these super buff dudes are all oiled up, huge bodies. Those guys die in their 40s and 50s because they're not breathing properly because they suffer from sleep apnea. They have constriction in their throat. So 
uh, this was a real wake up call because this wasn't what I thought I was going to be writing the book about. <laughs> it set me down a, a severe left turn, but I, I kept digging into it and it turned it out, turned out that there was a pretty interesting story in there. Well, let's uh, get into that story. You, you open the book um, with subjecting yourself to a study where you at first tape your you, you plug your nose and mouth breathe for a for, was it like a, a week? I forget it was a hundred ten days. Ten days, yeah, two hundred pages ago. I will never forget those days. So. And then, uh, and then you reciprocate the uh, the the plugging of the nostrils with a taping shut of the mouth during sleep at night. And what did that reveal to you? What? what you know, we're getting a little bit detailed here, but uh, I just it seems like such an extreme test to, to go through to not breathe out of your nose for 10 days. Um, and what I want to do is I want to just basically retrace some of the science that gets us to what you now know about the book or about the breath and what you've you've put in the book so that we can then apply it to the lives of people like Dylan James and Rick Squires and Karen Price and Tanya Siklek, who are listening and watching from all over the world right now. So I had been talking with Dr. Jayakar Nayak, who is the chief of rhinology research at Stanford. And he was talking about nasal breathing and how essential it is to health. And this guy's a real, one of the world's authorities on the, the science of nasal breathing and all the functions. I've never thought about nasal breathing. I always thought if I could do it, cool. If not, breathe through my mouth, no problem. That's why we have a mouth. And he said, absolutely not. That, that is not okay. So he explained to me that when we breathe through our nose, we're able to filter air, condition it to our body heat, humidify it, and make it so that when it enters our lungs, it, it enters in a condition that will be uh, very easily absorbed and won't irritate our lungs. Because the lungs are in many ways an external organ. They're exposed to our environment wherever we go. So if we're constantly inflicting them with different pathogens, or, or different temperatures of air, they're going to get irritated. And that's where a lot of respiratory problems are going to happen. So, so that's, that's the main problem with, with mouth breathing. But he mentioned, uh, he didn't know how quickly that, that damage came on. And I said, well, why don't you, why don't you test it out? He's, he thought it would be unethical because he knew that it was going to cause some serious damage. <laughs> so, uh, I, I volunteered to do a study and, you know, our intention was never to do like, some prank jackass thing. It was 25 to 50% of the world population, that's an estimate, breathes through its mouth, right? So we're, we're lulling ourselves into a position that so many people already knew that mouth breathing has been uh, implicated and correlated to, to so many problems from snoring to sleep apnea, to asthma, to allergies, on and on. So that's what we did. We, we plugged our noses, me and one other subject, a breathing therapist from, from Sweden, one of the world's better breathers made them, you know, just like everyone else. And we measured, did 60 different data markers and measured before and after. And what'd you find out? <laughs> well, uh, we, we knew mouth breathing was going to be bad. But we just didn't know it was going to be this bad. So I went from snoring about our baselines. I had about three or four minutes of snoring a night per, per eight hours. Not, not bad. Anders at zero. Um, within a night, that increased over a thousand percent. Within uh, three nights, we were both snoring uh, half the night. So four hours a night, uh, we both got sleep apnea. So uh, we were extremely fatigued. My blood pressure went up about 15 points. Um, Anders went up a little bit, not as much as that. I, I mean, I could just give you this laundry list of problems. Our athletic endurance, went way down, heart rate variability, sunk, uh, I, I mean, everything, body temperature lowered, uh, everything. And, and if we would have kept doing that, I'm sure that some chronic malady would have afflicted us, for, for sure. And the, the most amazing thing to us with this whole study is once 10 days is a, is a long time, maybe, maybe not in day-to-day -day life, <laughs> when you've got crap in, in your nose, it's it's awful. The first couple of days, we're like, ha ha, this is so bad. Then like the eighth, ninth day, I mean, we were really starting to lose. Our bodies were, were starting to suffer some some real issues. So the, the night we took that off and started using a little piece of tape on our mouth, just breathing through our nose, snoring completely disappeared. 
uh, sleep apnea completely disappeared. My blood pressure went down about 10 to 15 points and kept going down after that. Heart rate variability sore. I mean, on and on and on. So this is something that I just don't see or I didn't see then. Now I'm starting to see people talking about the, the correlation between snoring and the channel in which we breathe and the correlation between sleep apnea. You, you have sleep apnea, you're given a CPAP. You're told you snore, you're just like, oh, you're an old man, snore, go in another room. But but so much of that is tied to nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. And, and you know, there was a bunch of other discoveries that we found, but, but those were the most significant. Like how we breathe really matters. It's not just that you're breathing. You got to do it the right way. Well, uh, I'm going to be really bold here and say culturally, you picked an amazing time to start talking about a very important subject. George Floyd was killed because he couldn't breathe. We are in the middle of a pandemic that attacks the lungs and makes it so we can't breathe. And what I'm hoping to do in the next 40 minutes is to have you help us understand how the research that you've done can help us live our best lives. I want some specific, I want to... <laughs> I want some uh, some exercises that you could share with the group. I want to understand some of the benefits just besides the one you've you've shared right there, and maybe you could start off with, um, as you mentioned in the early in the book, and and I already hinted at. You know, I was raised on, you know, uh, processed foods, and no, no disrespect to my parents or my culture, like I just was raised on that stuff, and. Dennis says, Hey, you got some molar teeth coming in the back, these wisdom teeth, you know, I had two of them were impacted, you know, each one of those things came out in four or five pieces, big surgery, put me completely under. And, you know, I can't even imagine how many dentist visits I've had teeth pulled all this stuff. So if I'm, let's just say middle of the road, what, what can I start doing now to repair this ultimately, you know, my life 40 something years of not thinking about it correctly. I think the first thing to do is acknowledge that this is not your fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's, you know, this is something that, that happened to us as a culture. And also we have to acknowledge that there's, I had the same exact thing as you did, as I'm sure tens of millions of other people in the US. And this was just like, oh, I'm getting my wisdom teeth out. Oh, you're in headgear. Oh yeah, braces. There's nothing normal about this because if you took an ancient skull, any skull older than 500 years old, there is a very good chance, like a 99% chance, its teeth are going to be perfectly straight. These people never had their wisdom teeth removed. They never had braces or Invisalign or anything. Their teeth were perfectly straight because they had these big commanding jaws. And if you have a big jaw and a wide mouth that's wide enough to accommodate all of your teeth, your airway is going to be larger. We know that. So what you what you suffered from, what I suffered from is, you know, this approach that we need to make our teeth straight. So we need to remove teeth to cram them into a mouth that's already too small and make it smaller so the teeth are straight. And that's been shown to be strongly correlated to additional airway problems beyond the ones that we had before. So, you know, what I try to do in the book is to say, there's a problem it's all science. It's in the skeletal record. You can see it for yourself. There's videos out. I learned this stuff from leaders in the field, Stanford, Harvard, University of Penn people, top people. That's, the, that's not to me really controversial. It's what, what's interesting is that once you identify the problem, you can say, okay, we're messed up. Now, how do we fix it? How do we use our bodies to fix it? And that starts with recognizing that breathing is a foundation of health. And if you're not doing it right, you're never really going to be healthy. And then it can go on from there. So I think it's that realization and the acknowledgement you got to start with. Start at the beginning. Now, I, I mentioned uh, early on also that I'm a meditator and um, there are all kinds of different schools of meditation. Sometimes you focus on the breath. Um, I, I am a TM practicer, which is focused on a mantra, but um, I've gotten all kinds of value from it. And so it's fair to say that through my experience there that I've tapped into it. 
I also, um, friend of Tony Robbins, uh, Tony's talked about his priming where he's breathing through the nose. Um, and that's borrowed from a bunch of different traditions. Um, let's, so I'm not throwing rocks at my parents. My mom's probably watching the show right now. Mom did all you could don't, you know, Dr. Nestor's let us off the hook here, but so what can we start to do though? Where, if you're me, where, where do we start? I want, I want peak physical condition. I want, you know, my body and my blood oxygen. I want my brain to work. I want to be the best version of myself. And yet with something that's so simple, as you said, we take for granted. I don't even know where, I mean, I've read the book, so I know, but I, I, you know, the folks at home again, Dylan James, Karen Price, Kathy Johnston, uh, Johnny Costello, they, they want to know where to start. So where do we start? Let's build that foundation. Just to be clear, I'm not a doctor, even though I like oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> quite, quite nice. I'm a science journalist and I'm not a breathing therapist. So I went into this world with, with zero slant. I went in to report on this stuff. And if I had discovered that mouth breathing was actually healthier than nasal breathing, I would have probably had like, that's a real scoop, everyone. Like that would be a real killer story. But I didn't, right? I looked at the data. I talked to the experts in the field. Having said that, I picked up some tricks along the way. So the first one is breathe through your nose. Um, I don't care if you say, oh, my, my nose is always clogged. I can't do I'm not getting enough air when I'm running. You can breathe through your nose. Uh, very few people need surgical intervention. Some do, absolutely. But uh, breathing therapists in Ireland told me of the thousands of people that he's taught. That we're talking thousands, many thousands. Four actually couldn't breathe through their nose after weeks of, of trying. So you're going to vastly increase your your endurance. You're going to increase your recovery. You are going to be able to fight off pathogens and bacteria and even viruses more efficiently. Every time you breathe through your nose instead of your mouth, you're, you are increasing oxygenation 20% in each breath. So that means you need to, you can uh, breathe less. Uh, and by breathing less, you're going to slow down your heart rate. By slowing down your heart rate, you're going to remove the burden on your heart. By doing that, you're going to lower your blood pressure. So all of these things are, are related, especially if you're a jogger or someone who's really into endurance athletics, uh, breathing through the nose is going to give you a huge advantage. It can take weeks to acclimate to that, but but stick with it. And there are some therapists and there's studies and showing that the massive gain. So that would be rule number one. Um, I could start with another one, unless you have- Yeah, keep going. No, this is great. No, I'm, I'm taking notes here. And this, this is kind of how I set up the, the book by starting with these foundations. Uh, the next one is to, to exhale fully. That doesn't mean to... I know there's some super doers uh, listening to your podcast out there. Don't push it with breathing. I want you to slowly acclimate your body to this stuff. You can push it later once you're acclimated, but but imagine, you know, if you've never run a marathon, if you've only walked around the block, you're not going to go run run a marathon. That's going to mess up your body. Same thing with, when I say a full exhale, I mean very calmly lifting that diaphragm up and then letting it sink back down when you inhale. And by doing that, every time it sinks down, you are going to put more blood into your thoracic cavity. When the diaphragm goes up and you exhale, that blood is going to push through your heart. So this diaphragm is the secondary pump to your heart. What you want to do is, is really reduce the burden, the effort on the heart. Why do you want it to be overworked all the time, pushing against inflammation, blood pressure going up? No, you want it to be nice and easy as long as you can. So just by doing this, this researcher that, that I found in the 1950s, who was a vocal teacher, taught emphysemics, these people in VA hospitals had been left for dead. They had no way of treating them. They gave them antibiotics and oxygen and put them all in the same room. It's just horrific. Simply by training them how to breathe, by extending their diaphragmatic motion, he was able to heal these people better than, than any other therapy. And this was never denied. There's x-rays showing it. There's pulmonologists uh, who, have, who have verified this over and over. This is something we can all do. So exhale more because the inhaling is easy. People tend to be like, I need to get that big inhale in, but it's not doing much good unless you get that old air out. So, so those are the, the first two, nasal and exhale. So I think everybody wants 
to feel better. Everybody wants to live better. And I'm just looking at the comments right now, like Kathy's a stylist and she's wearing a mask all day now. And she's realizing that breathing through her nose fogs of her glasses. So she's started intentionally mouth breathing. And, you know, we got uh, Karen Price here. She's got sleep apnea. And when you say, all right, I want to give you a couple things to do. Is it just the conscious effort of these things or are there some exercises that you ought that you will want to prescribe or do you recommend that people go th go see uh, a therapist or a doctor to help with that strategy or do you feel like you know having studied this as you have for the book um, that you can give us some more specific pointers than just learn how to exhale and breathe through your nose what what's your what's your prescription I know you're not a doctor <laughs> you have a prescription to, to start off with. Everyone's different, right? So, so different people have different levels of, of breathing problems. Some might have minor problems. Some have major problems. There's a bunch of different tests you can do to figure out where you are on that scale. And those different problems are going to be addressed differently depending on what you have. So it's hard for me to say, oh, you've got sleep apnea. Do this. You're, you're going to be okay. What I can do is tell you that certain people who have had mild to moderate sleep apnea who focused on nasal breathing using a little piece of mouth tape. I'm not talking about taping your whole mouth, a teeny little piece on your lips uh, have shown improvement, especially with snoring as well. Oral pharyngeal exercises have been shown to be very effective with snoring and sleep apnea. I'm not saying for everyone, especially if you have central sleep apnea, which is a problem in the brain and not obstructive sleep apnea, two, two different things. Um, CPAPs are, are wonderful, amazing devices that have allowed people who have been choking on themselves for so long to get a good night's sleep and to get oxygen. So they're, they're wonderful, but they're not doing anything to fix the core problem, right? And so what, what I think we need to focus on if you're talking about long-term health is fixing that core problem. Sometimes surgery is, is what you need for sleep apnea. Uh, sometime it's, it's meditation or different exercises, but there's a whole range of different things that I just don't feel comfortable prescribing, you know, one, one size fix all thing, uh, yeah. because it, it doesn't. But I think that even, even just the urging folks to, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, oh, you snore, go in the other room or whatever. I want people to, who are listening and watching right now and, if you're just now joining us, I'm here with James Nestor talking about his book, Breath, which uh, is, it was, it's such an eye-opening book to read. And it's also a page turner for whatever it's worth. You just do a beautiful job of, you know, I, I've been devouring the thing. And it's when you start to understand, you know, I started like thinking back in my history and, you know, again, I'm, I'm reading in the comments right now so many people either snore or get poor sleep or have sleep apnea or, you know, like, um, Kathy, Kathy, the, the stylist, and she's like adapting to breathe through her mouth, you know, given we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's hard when you have a mask on, like, it seems so pervasive. And, you know, is this, um, like, why are, why is this not more common? Why? Like, it seems like you've just uncovered this thing. And yet, you know, you look back thousands of years, we got all kinds of different traditions talking about breath. You know, is there some, uh, is there some, um, higher power telling us that you're someone's trying to get an angle on not breathing so they can make a bunch of money. And like, why, why is this so late to be popularized? I, I think that it's, it's, so stunning and somewhat ironic to be having this conversation, hearing you say this now, considering for the last three, four years that I've been working on this book, I've told my friends, yeah, I'm working on this book about breathing. They're like, what, what, why do you want to write a book about breathing? What are you talking about? Um, and this is what these researchers, Christian Guillemont um, at Stanford has been looking at infant and childhood breathing and correlating it to ADHD and autism. And he's been doing this for 50 years and no one's been listening. And his science, his work is irrefutable. So these are the conversations I had with these, with these experts in the field for years. And it seems finally that there is, there is, people are starting to wake up of what an important and, and essential thing this is. 
Uh, the fact that we've accepted snoring and sleep apnea to be common problems, it's just like, hey, got, got my snoring, got my sleep apnea. And, you know, that's, that's just, it, these are not, these are things that have just, in the last 30 years, have, have gone viral over our population. And, and they're having a severely damaging effect on, on our health across the board. And there's, again, there's no controversy about that. So the question is, what do you do with it? Um, considering there's so many different permutations just for sleep apnea, what, what I'm doing, because I'm not a breathing therapist, because I'm not a doctor, I'm inviting doctors to do Q&As on, on my website. And this isn't a way to move traffic to my website. So. No, no, I, I'm, I saw one on your Instagram. They're free to everybody. Uh, no one's selling you anything, but I'm having the reason I mentioned this because Dr. Stephen Park, who is I would consider the world's authority on sleep apnea and 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 CPAP and other sleep disordered breathing, uh, I'm going to be doing an interview with him in in about ten days. So we're taking questions from from anyone, and he will be able to answer the the specific you know uh, uh, methods in which you can help improve improve your health and, and breathing. No, I love it. And I, I saw one on your Instagram channel. Um, I forget what that doctor's name was, but, uh, again, just, the, just bringing that, bringing the topic to light is part of what has been so, so eye-opening to me. You talked in the book, I believe the word was de-evolution or was that right? De-evolution. And it's like that we're literally going backwards now. And, and how is that? And, and why? Mm. So the, the term that um, that was used, Daniel Lieberman, whose book is right here, 600 pages, pretty heavy stuff. He called it disevolution. Disevolution, that's right. Evolution that's right. Is, is always moving. Like everyone always thinks that evolution means progress. It does not. It means movement. It means change, right? So disevolution is you're still moving. You're just not going towards progress. You veered off. And if you look at the human species, that's exactly what's happened to us. So this idea that, you know, all evolution is moved by survival of the fittest. We are only inheriting traits that are advantageous. No, not, not at all true. And, and this is especially true with our breathing. And just as I had mentioned, those huge, powerful jaws, our cave people ancestors, never needing braces, having perfectly straight teeth, huge nasal apertures. They breathe differently. They have these huge sinuses too um, than, than we do now. So, so the problem is, is no now. Um, but, but again, what, what can you do about that? Um, and considering the, the many different problems we have for breathing, I can't offer blanket solutions, but I can identify different ways people have helped themselves, which is what I tried to focus on uh, from asthma to emphysema to athletic endurance you know that that kind of thing for the mass for the, the one viewer uh who's breathing out of the mass now breathing through through the mouth i would uh that's super inconvenient uh, i would suggest probably not doing that dr lewis ignaro uh won the Nobel prize in the 90s for his work with nitric oxide and he found that nitric oxide which is produced guess where right here in our nose we produce six times more, um, six-fold increase in our nose. Just breathing through the nose is very effective at fighting off bacteria, pathogens, and guess what? Viruses. Uh, he, he said that it interacts directly with viruses, and they've done studies looking at SARS in Petri dishes in, with mammalian cells and found that those cells would survive so much longer in the presence of nitric oxide, and which is one of the reasons right now that ERs and, and other medical institutions are giving uh, people with COVID, guess what? Nitric oxide. <laughs> They're having them inhale it, but we can make our own right here in our noses. So if she's able to get a mask or some sort of situation and continue um, by mask, I mean, one of those, those shield. Yeah. Shield. Yeah. Shield visors. Uh, it would be better. Uh, nasal breathing's extremely important, especially for now. Hmm. Well, again, this, this, I'm looking at the comments and we've got people on all these different platforms, um, talking about, oh, wow, I thought snoring was normal. I was told that my straightening my teeth wouldn't affect my breathing, that it would help my mouth shape. I would like, 
Donna is now she's, uh, by the way, she's a fan of the fresh air podcast. She's a physical, physical therapist and Pilates instructor and, and talking about how core these concepts are to, you know, physical fitness. And, and it's just shocking to me that something that's fundamental as breathing has been so misunderstood this, you mentioned the concept, or I, I asked you about the concept of disevolution and that we're actually, um, you know, moving away from these adaptations or the, our previous biology that was very, very helpful. And is it because of dentistry? Is it because of, um, like, why are we disevolving? Yeah, I think there's too many guilty parties. You can't pin it on one thing. I just want to make it. I was just going to go after my dentist, Dr. Michael, I'm coming for you. <laughs> um, but, but just to, to talk about how it's been misunderstood and not acknowledged, a, a point that you made and that the other viewer had mentioned is these breathing has been a foundation of almost every major culture for the past 3,000 years, right? If you look back to ancient Hindu culture, breathing, that's what it was all about. It was a medicine. If you look into ancient Chinese culture, there's seven books of the Tao written entirely on breathing. Uh, all the bad things that will happen if you breathe through your mouth and all the good things that will happen if you breathe through your nose and, and do some other practices. The ancient Greeks were onto it. Um, so it's 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 been like an integral part of so many different systems. And yet in the past, you know, 100 years, 200 years of industrialization, it's just fallen by the wayside. So, so I just want to mention that. But to answer your specific question about you know, dentistry and breathing. This is an extremely contentious, complicated, controversial subject. But I've talked with, with several people and I will let them do the talking now and paraphrase uh, them. These are dentists who have been in the field for decades. And one of whom, Michael Gelb, Dr. Michael Gelb, you can look him up, look him up and see he's on the board of, of every imaginable different association related to dentistry. He told me, he said, half of people half of orthodontic treatment braces traditional braces treatments are going to make breathing worse um for for the people who receive them um and he said in 10 years from now we're gonna look back and be horrified at what we've done so what he explained to me is so the problem we have with crooked teeth right is our mouth isn't big enough so teeth growing crooked so what happens when you remove more teeth and then get headgear to push those teeth back and then get braces to push those teeth. What's going to happen to the airway? And again, this is from, from Gelb and, and some, some of it's from Mew and some of it's from uh, Paul Ehrlich, who is a professor at Stanford who wrote a book called Jaws, which is about this exact specific subject. So if you really want to learn more about this specific subject, you can Stanford guy released by Stanford University Press, pretty legit. So that's, that's what they're saying. And the principle of it makes a lot of sense to me. And they've, they've found that, you know, kids, if you look at jaw size correlated with, with airway, they found that kids who are breastfed versus those who were bottle fed will have significantly lesser uh, chances of getting sleep apnea and snoring later on because breastfeeding, you have to use your mouth, you have to stretch it. You have to, you're going to be pushing that mouth out. You're going to be creating a wider mouth and a larger airway. And I believe they've done studies. Uh, Karen Bodek at Albert Einstein Medical Center has done studies looking at uh, how, how straight kids' teeth are compared to those who were bottle fed because it's all about having that wider palate, that wider mouth. Wow. So, I'm, it's a lot to I'm process there. I, re I realize maybe a little too much. So. No, no. This is like this is why we're here. This is why the long form exists. And um, I'm thinking right now about what I desire for a solution. And I do want to go talk to my dentist about this. Have you? Um, and and you mentioned it's it's controversial. And I got a dentist who's pretty pretty on the spot. He's a, forward thinking guy. And I'm wondering what kind of conversation would I have with him? And I'm guessing you had to have a bunch of conversations through the course of the research of the book. Did you find resistance? Like what are, what are the people at home going to expect if they want to have this conversation with their uh, mouth health care professional? 
I, I talk to more than a dentist, dozen dentists. Um, these are people who are teaching at Columbia. These are people who are teaching at the top institutions. And what they've said is there's, they've been in denial for a long time, but that's really starting to change in a huge way. Because what they're starting to do, people want straight teeth, right? You want to look good. It's easier to chew. I get that. What they're starting to do, which I think is so fascinating, hence, hence the subtitle, New Science of a Lost Art, the first orthodontics treatments expanded the mouth. They didn't crane it down. So these, these were the very first ones. They were for children who couldn't breathe, who had, who had cleft palates and had other issues in which they couldn't choose and breathe. So they expanded their mouths. And that's how teeth were straightened 100 years ago. By expanding the mouth, making the mouth wider so teeth would naturally grow in straight. So there is a huge, I would call it a revolution in using these expanding devices now to the point where my feeling is these are going to take over a lot of orthodontists. Um, and, and the orthodontists I've been talking to um, have, have been using these things for, for decades and now they're just seeing the the demand surge because they've found, especially with kids, if you use one of these devices to help their teeth naturally grow in straight, their breathing will improve. Their airway will get larger. So why wouldn't you want to straighten teeth and expand your airway and make your breathing easier at the same time? The, the reason is doing these procedures is more in depth. It's harder and what I've been told from them is the reason uh, braces got so popular, it was production line dentistry. You do the same thing for the same, same people down the line. And this expansion takes more time and more skill. Yeah, we are impatient. Um, so just a quick shout out to uh, Mikey T on Instagram Live saying this is huge for me thank you so much um until now block theory on facebook is uh agreeing with you this breathing slowly through the nose um is a game changer for both personal health and a bunch of people that uh he she or they works with um and how fast can you see changes happen if you focus either through a meditative practice or through a coach or a therapist if you if you do start breathing through your nose what you know how fast can we expect to see changes in personal health if someone out there has a blood pressure monitor i want them to try this try this at home put on your cuff take your measurements and then i want you to breathe at a pace of about five to six seconds in five to six seconds out through your nose slowly. Don't don't push it. Don't get paranoid that you're half a second off. Forget that. Just breathe slowly through your nose. Relax yourself, and then check your blood pressure a couple of minutes after that. And there's a good chance, especially those with who have moderate to to very high blood pressure, your blood pressure can drop 10, 10 or 15 points. So that's what happens to the body in a few minutes. Just imagine what would happen in a few days, or a few weeks. Or a few months. Yeah. So these these transformations, and I'm going to use that word even though it's a little touchy-feely. And I've, I've talked to clinicians who have worked with people with anxiety, depression, breathing problems, asthma. These transformations are so profound. Uh, and they're measured. We have the data to support this. There's tons of studies on this. Um, so I, I think just by breathing for five minutes, just try it for five minutes a day and see how you feel. If you have a pulse oximeter, you can put that on as well. Those are, I know there's a huge like black market for, for pulse oxes now with COVID, but a lot of people will think, well, I'm, there's no way I'm getting enough oxygen into my body when I'm breathing that slowly. Chances are your oxygen's either going to stay the same or it's going to go up by breathing that slowly. Because the idea that, you have to breathe like that to get maximum oxygen in is complete garbage. You're just breathing air back out and you're causing a lot more stress to your heart. So that's why these slow, easy breaths are the way to go. So to answer your specific question, depends on the person, depends how heavy you go into this stuff. I've had people who tried a little piece of tape on their lips. They've been snoring for, for 20 years. 30 years, they've had problems associated with that, blood pressure stuff. And uh, within two nights, 
Uh, they no longer snore and their blood pressure has gone down and they wrote me, you know, crying in these emails. And again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor, but this stuff is stuff that's available to anyone. It's totally free. And the worst thing that can happen if you do this is you might feel better, right? That, that's about the, the worst side effect. So it seems pretty good to me. I, no, I actually, I appreciate your ability to point to science rather than be the scientist because there's, you know, that takes a little bit of the pressure off and there's all kinds of drama that goes around and making big claims that refute, you know, thought thinking that is hundreds or thousands of years old. Um, one question came in, which, I, you know, Dylan James, uh, you must have missed this. Do braces affect your nasal breathing? Yeah, because they're constraining the size of your mouth and your mouth constraining, constraining the size of your mouth will reduce the size of the airway, et cetera. So, yes. Um, but a bunch of folks are, um, a couple now actually, are asking um, Carly in particular, what about if you have low pressure, low blood pressure? Is this going to be bad for you? I would imagine it would not be because what it's doing is it is balancing the different systems in your body to work most efficiently. So you're only allowing things to work better. I do not want to be giving anyone any prescriptions with, with chronically low blood pressure. Um, and, and Anders, uh, as opposed to me, my blood pressure is pretty high, which is why I saw this huge change. He had very low blood pressure. He was about one, 118. Um, his, his, uh, diastolic, um, yeah, that's the high one. And he, he showed only slight changes in his blood pressure when he switched from different breathing, uh, patterns. So, so it, it's just able to balance the body in, in certain ways. Mm. Um, I wanted to, sorry to interrupt you there. There's a little delay on your Skype. Um, so Wim Hof has been a guest on the show. I'm a huge, personally, a huge cold water therapy person. One of the things that I notice about my cold water therapy is that the first thing I worked on was breathing slowly in cold water. Um, but you do, um, you sort of do a, a debrief or a teardown of, of Vim's breathing method. And I'm wondering if you could share that with us and, and what you concluded as a journalist from what you reported on what he had to say. So his, his breathing method, and I, I just read his, an early release of his new book, and he says, this is not my breathing method. This thing has been around for thousands of years. You know, and I, I talk about the history in the book. So this has been practiced by, by probably millions of monks and other people over, over at least a thousand years. And pranayamas, which are very similar to this practice, have been practiced even longer than that. So what, what they found is a lot of people think that stressing your body out is a bad thing because we're already so stressed, right? So what, what Wim's method of TUMO, what other TUMOs, other pranayamas do, is they purposely stress you out. So a lot of people are like, how can that be good for me? Um, what it does is it snaps you out of your funk. So so many of us go through our days in this mild level of stress, mild to moderate slit. We never really relax. We never have to like run or fight for our lives. So just this chronic, chronic stress. And that is so damaging. So what, what, these, what Wim does and, and the benefits where I see so much of this comes in is it reminds your body what real stress feels like, but it compounds that into a very small amount of time. So for 15 minutes, you're really going for it. So specifically, so that the 23 and a half hours of the day that are left, you were relaxed and balanced and functioning the way you should function. And I think that the cold shower, which I'm a big fan of as well, uh, especially for vascular health. Um, and and if, if anyone hasn't done this, if you want to lower your, your heart rate, lower your blood pressure, finish off your showers with a, with about a, a minute of cold water and you can extend that further, but, but that's what you need to begin with. So I really feel these things working hand in hand, this hormetic stress, which is exposing the body to short bursts of stress is is known to be profoundly uh, healing to people, especially with autoimmune diseases where their immune systems are just running wild. This teaches them and it focuses them, 
focuses them and ramps those systems back down. So at UCSF here, University of California, San Francisco, they're now studying WIMS system with, with arthritis and other autoimmune issues. But we already know that it works for those conditions, for autoimmune conditions. Um, and it's to me, it's fascinating. This, this stuff has been around for so long. And, and again, Western science is just like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe it can really help us. Maybe we don't need to put someone on 12 different prescription drugs for 12 different things and fix the core problem. And that's really what WIM's all about. Yeah, I love that about him. And you mentioned just this low grade stress and there's the questions are moving so quickly for me. I missed one about anxiety, but you, you, you tied it in. Um, you talk in the book about, um, just the, the nervous system in general, the autonomic nervous system. And can you, and I, I I suppose this is touching a little bit on the comment that you just had about Wim's, uh, not, not Wim's method, (laughs) the thousands of year old breathing method. Um, just, I'm wondering overall for people, um, who suffer from anxiety and even so many of us who are dealing with chronic stress and we've become accustomed to it, um, you know, talk to us about what you found in your researching the science. So if people are at home, you can place your hand over your heart and take an inhale. doesn't matter. Mouth, nose, do this, doesn't matter. You're going to feel your heart rate speed up, then exhale. Keep exhaling longer, longer, longer. You're going to feel your heart rate slow down. So we get a sympathetic response every time we inhale. We get a parasympathetic, this is the rest and relax response, every time we exhale. So you can use these as levers. If you want to get really amped up, you can you can inhale longer than you exhale. If you want to slow down, you can inhale to a count of about four and exhale to eight. Inhale to four, exhale to 10. Inhale to four, exhale to 10. So the longer you're exhaling, the more you're going to be eliciting that parasympathetic response. Most of us want a balance in these things, which is why that five or six seconds in, five to six seconds out is so good. But we can use breathing as this lever to, to actually take control of our autonomic nervous system, which until a few years ago was supposed to be absolutely impossible. It's called autonomic because that means automatic. That means beyond our control. But that is not true. We can take control of our nervous system and many aspects of immune function through our breathing. So another thing I want to mention about anxiety is traditionally people with anxiety and asthma breathe too much which is why they have very low resting carbon dioxide levels. They're constantly, (laughs) they've found that for certain people, I'm not going to say this is going to work for everyone, but for certain people, by lengthening those inhales and lengthening those exhales, especially, and building your tolerance for carbon dioxide, which is what triggers the need to breathe. The need to breathe is not triggered by oxygen. It is CO2. So if you can increase slowly, gently increase your tolerance for CO2, you're going to naturally accept this habit of breathing slowly. And we know that slower focus breathing can help abate both asthma and anxiety attacks for a lot of people. So that's another thing. Totally free. Experiment with it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. On a previous episode of the show here on actually on creative live TV, um, I sat with Dr. Kelly Sturette and I don't know if you know, Dr. Kelly's work, but, uh, he got me to hold my breath for, I think two minutes and 45 seconds on my first sort of, he just had me do a couple breathing exercises and then just like live on the air. And I wasn't even ready to breathe. I was like, I could go, I could keep going. And I know this was a secret in free diving um, you talked about training breath in your, in your previous book. Um, I just want to just, for those of you who are hung up on that, wait a minute, I thought, you know, lack of oxygen. No, it's actually a, a CO2 trigger. Um, all this stuff is, again, it's in the book. And if you're just joining us, I'm sitting down with James Nestor talking about the importance of breath. And no, it's not lost on anyone in this conversation the importance of breath, not just because here we are all sharing breathing, um, the timing of, again, George Floyd being killed without having access to breath, um, the pandemic, 
as James said, our lungs are inside out and we've seen it, you know, it's just incredible to me how much of our world is centered around something that we take for granted and that we, it's, it's, if you're doing it, then it's working. And what James has shown in, in this book, which is again, it's, it's a scientific thriller. It's a page turner is that our beliefs about breath and breathing, um, unless you've been studying it for some time are largely messed up. I want to give a shout out to uh, a couple of folks on, on, uh, Instagram live. I want to get to your question here in just a second. Um, Grady wants to know, Grady O wants to know, um, what, what's the best way to start introducing this to someone who is a doubter, someone who does not, who believes these sort of lies or maybe even they're not intentional, just the, the lack of investigation into our ability to breathe better. What do you recommend or do you have a recommendation? Uh, first of all, I would suggest that said doubter check out the actual science from from leaders in the field who have been doing this stuff for decades and decades. Uh, as a journalist, I'm not the one conducting these this research, even though I did in a few of these studies, I couldn't help it. Um, but I was working with people who this is their job to study this stuff. Um, and if anyone says, oh, you breathe slowly, it's just a placebo effect. How, how does that explain your blood pressure change? How does that explain the shift in, in your heartbeat, right? How does it explain the increase of CO2, which is going to allow all that tingling to disappear from your fingers because now there's circulation to your brain and to your extremities. So, you know, science is measurable truth. So anything that can be measured can be studied. And if it can be studied, it can be proven right or wrong. So I'm a big fan of measurements. If something can't be measured, then, you know, I, I think there's reason to be doubtful. But there are so many people who have been measuring this and doing incredible work. And there's tons of other academic books on this, too. And they're about 700 pages long. And they're right up here. And if you want them, I'll, I'll send them to you. <laughs> it's just going to be expensive. <laughs> so to, to answer the question, you know, I would say if, if this person is a snore, uh, put a little piece of hypoallergenic tape, not duct tape, but be, be smart. <laughs> Just to, just to train the jaw shut at night. And you can download a free app called, called Snore Lab. There's a bunch of other apps. And, and record your baseline be, before and after and see how it affects your, your snoring. It takes a while to get used to this tape thing, but give it a couple of days. We've, we've got some, a lot of people have some free time nowadays. Why not experiment to improve, improve your health? Or get a blood pressure cuff monitor and, and see how different breathing is going to affect your blood pressure. Um, you know, the, the Wim Hof thing, also, I wanted to mention this, especially in regards to nervous system function. The whole point of what he's trying to do is to make you flexible because a body that's flexible is, is going to be much more fit and much more able to overcome adversity. It's when we become inflexible where, oh, I can only hold my breath for 10 seconds. I'm not going to hold my breath anymore. I hate breathing too fast. Oh, that makes me nervous. I hate holding my breath. That makes me... The idea is just like a, a great athlete is going to be flexible in all these different ways. Our breathing should be flexible as well. And that's why these practices for asthmatics and people with anxiety are so helpful because it makes them their bodies able to accept a higher threshold of CO2 and different gases in their body without freaking out. And I really think that that's the key. Mm. Spoken so much truth. Um, I'm going to just uh, uh, answer a couple questions here. Um, and I missed you earlier in the broadcast of Chuchoil asks about um, they have restricted nasal passages. You said these exercises can help. Absolutely. And, and um, someone else here is talking about chronic sinus issues. Absolutely. Um, someone else has to uh, yeah, another chronic sinus issue here, inflammation in the sinuses, um, a lot. So the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, but you can do a couple tests right now. I know you're into actionable items. So yes, I've yes. done this before and again, not a therapist people. I'm, I'm just teaching you some things I've learned. Go like this. 
Take your nose, take your fingers, spread your nostrils out. If you can breathe a lot easier, no, don't don't grab them. You you okay. on the side. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you can breathe easier, this is called the Cottle's maneuver. If you can breathe easier that way, then there is a chance your nostrils are either too flexible or aren't wide enough. And you can get these things called breathe right strips which lift the nostrils up and make breathing easier. These are good for, for snoring at night. You see football players wearing these things. So surgical interventions can help with that. For chronic sinusitis, I read this the weirdest study I've, I've come across where that stuff, that nitric oxide, it interacts with, with funguses and viruses and bacterial. So if you hum you are increasing your nitric oxide 15-fold over just breathing through your nose. So this one guy was humming for about 10 minutes, three or four times a day, and he said, this is a one-off N1 experiment, that he was able to get rid of his, his chronic sinusitis that way. We do know, if, you, if anyone has a stuffy nose right now, another trick. So exhale, calmly. Pinch your nose shut. Nod your head up and down, side to side. Hold your breath as long as you can. When you feel the need to breathe, open the nostrils and very slowly take a breath through your nose. If you can't quite breathe well yet, repeat this about four or five times. So for congestion, this trick works really well. It builds CO2 in the nose, it opens up the capillaries and tends to really help. So again, some people do need surgical interventions. Uh, but as Nyack told me, the guy at Stanford, if your sink is clogged, you're going to find a way of unclogging it as soon as possible. The nose needs to be considered in the same regard. Uh, breathing through the nose, it is a must. Clearing the nose is a must. Um, seems like our connection degraded a little bit. There's so many folks um, asking questions and we're out of time, but this is the cliffhanger, right? All of the answers and the inspiration to do this work is in James's new book, Breath, which uh, if you're listening to this, you're missing it because I'm holding up the uh, hardback right now. Um, Breath, a new science of a lost art. Uh, James, thank you so much for being on the show. You've sewn together so many different you know, guests and POVs, whether you're a Laird Hamilton surfer and you need to hold your breath under waves or Wim Hof or meditation, mindfulness, you've connected the, the ideas behind so many guests that we've had on the show. Um, and again, uh, Zarita and Karen and Dylan and Carly and Chad and Stefan and people from all over the world, grateful for the work that you're doing. Congratulations on hitting the New York Times list. Um, What's the best, you know, you did, you mentioned that you are hosting conversations with doctors uh, and other leaders in the uh, breathing community. Um, breathing community, that sounds kind of funny, but uh, the community for whom breath is critical. Um, what's the best place for people to find you? So my website, mrjamesnester.com, you can put a backslash breath in there, delivers you to the site dedicated to the book. I put all of the scientific references available free online. There's 500 or so. If you don't believe some of these claims about emphysemics or breathing, helping to uh, cure scoliosis, there's videos there as well. Um, and just last week, I've received so many uh, reader questions, hundreds of these things that I don't feel comfortable answering. So I'm for the next couple months, I'm bringing the top of the top, leaders in the field to come on and answer these questions for you. These people aren't being paid. They're not selling anything. They're here to, to help. And, and uh, that should be distributed. I'm on, I try to, I'm trying to be better at the social media thing. So my Instagram and Facebook is the same name, Mr. James Nestor. And I'll be putting all of that stuff up on, up on that as well. And uh, for those of you spelling challenged out there, Mr. M-R-J-A-M-E-S, James N-E-S-T-O. Are Mr. James Nestor. Um, I'm uh, on on your Instagram channel there, following you, and I've already seen a couple of the 
conversations you've posted there and I'm looking forward to them. I, I will be joining. I want to say thanks again so much for being on the show, for investing so much time and energy and unlocking um, what, you know, by our standards, so many of the things that we're doing right now are going to be looked back upon as like head shakers. Um, thanks for bringing this to our attention and really grateful for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, everybody, signing off for another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. Um, looking at the comments, very, very happy to be in your ears and do James a uh, solid. Go pick up a copy of his book and uh, you will not be disappointed. See you again, hopefully, tomorrow. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you, so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds, tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts, uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well. And the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.